Father God, we gather together today in the mighty name of Jesus. We are so grateful that we can assemble as your church and give you the honor and glory you deserve. Father, as we go through your word today, let your word be established in our hearts and our minds so that we would become a people and a church that would reflect your glory throughout the world and advance your kingdom mission in this world. So we ask today that you would open up the eyes of our hearts and strengthen the focus of our minds, Lord, as we prepare to be transformed by your truth. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would anoint my lips and the ears of those listening so that Christ's exalting truth would change us from the outside in as you work on the inside to soften our hard hearts. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen, amen and Amen. You're welcome to take your seats this morning. Church, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to the second chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 2. For those of you reading on your mobile devices, we are reading from the New King James Version. Just by way of introduction, church, for those of you who have been with us, you know that we've been in a series in the book of Acts. And we've essentially been looking at the beginning of the church. It began on the day of Pentecost, subsequent to the Lord's death and resurrection. The Spirit of God came, 3,000 people were converted, and the church was born. We find ourselves now in Acts chapter 2, verses 42, and it introduces us to the life of the church. Trevi, could you maybe switch these lights off on the side here, please? Verses 41 ends... When those who received the preaching of Peter, those who received the preaching of the gospel were baptized, and that day there were added 3,000 souls. This is the beginning of the church. Today, church, we have a look at how they conducted their life together. Let's read from verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Amen. What really strikes you when you read this passage of Scripture is the common shared life that they had. And it's all bound up in verse 42 in the word fellowship. This word fellowship because even the breaking of bread around the Lord's table was an expression of fellowship prayer is an expression of fellowship as well as the apostles doctrine the, the teaching of the word of God all of the believers were together in verse 44 they even held their possessions in common trust so that if anyone had need they would gladly sell what they had to meet the need of the person that had it 
they were daily continuing with one mind in the temple, breaking bread, that is having meals from house to house, and taking their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart. Now what you find here is a community of people who are committed to one another. And this is the first expression of the church and its mutual commitment to continue the work of Jesus Christ in the earth. And this is the church that Jesus said, I will build and the gates of hell will not prevail against. Church, I was reading an article this week of how many people leave the church on a daily or a weekly basis. And according to research done in in Western culture, in Western society, there are over 60 churches that close their doors on a weekly basis. This translates to 3,000 or more than 3,500 people that are leaving the church every single day. And those numbers don't include all countries throughout the world. And because of these numbers, these alarming numbers, there are some churches that have become very creative in trying to attract new people. I read about one church that transformed their auditorium into a bullring. And so what they did, they took out all the chairs, they put a, a bullring in the center of the church, they put some hay bales around, and then for the, the Wednesday night service, the pastor got onto the bull until he was thrown off. He only lasted a few seconds, right? But once he was thrown off, he dusted himself off and got onto the pulpit and apparently preached a very powerful sermon. I don't know what he was preaching about, but maybe it was done, having done all to stand, stand. I don't know. <laughs> Another church decided to serve a a steak dinner and, listen to this, give out guns as a special prize to people. This was a a Baptist church in in Kentucky. I don't know, maybe that was their way of evangelizing. You know, going into the streets and, and threatening people with a handgun to come to the Lord. Then apparently there are quite a few churches that are having these events called Christian MMA events. Mixed martial arts fighting, especially in men's ministry. So that you can get together and punch each other out in in Jesus' name and have a great time, you know. All I can say, guys, don't ask me to start an MMA ministry. Just from my soccer nights on Tuesday evenings, I've injured myself enough. Along with a couple of other guys in our church. Can you imagine what would happen if we went there? But the reason I mention these examples to you is to highlight that, firstly... You should never have to convince God's people of their need to gather together. You should never have to do that. And secondly, a church will live or die by the people that come. If a church is alive, it's because the people who come are alive and active. If a church is dying, it's because the people who come are themselves in that state. Now, I hope you all know that we are part of the greatest company in the world. Yes, there are some great companies around the world that have gone around the world to improve mankind and standards of living, but we are part of the greatest company in the world. Let me explain what I mean. Number one, we have a product that works globally. You can take the gospel to Johannesburg, to Afghanistan, or to China, And the gospel plainly and correctly preached will yield results. We have the greatest product in the world. Number two, in this company, we have offices worldwide. 
Because you can go to any country in any culture and you will find an expression of the church in that culture and in that country. And number three, we have the greatest benefit packages. Because in our benefit package, we have forgiveness for our past. We have hope and purpose for our present. And we have the greatest retirement package of all, of any company. Amen? Because when all this is over, what we're going to see and where we're going to go and how we're going to be rewarded is unlike any company. And on top of all of that, we have the greatest leader who sacrificed his life for us so that we could receive all these benefits. And until he comes to fetch us one day, until he returns, we do life together. We are part of this great company of the church. And it requires the collaboration. It requires the involvement of all. As you are well aware, we've been doing things a bit differently at our church this year. We believe that the Lord has been leading us to create an environment that is more intimate so that there is room for everyone's gifts to arise and that everyone would know that they have something to bring. And by God's grace, we're starting to see that happen. And this passage of Scripture that we're covering today, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, was one of the passages of Scripture that we believe the Lord gave us at the beginning of the year to firstly create a model that contained the core elements of fellowship, the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread and prayer, to which we added worship and testimony from other parts of Scripture. And secondly, to focus on the importance of doing all of this together in the fellowship of one another. And that's why as a church, you would have noticed that we've made every effort to make sure that we can come together. Whether you're in campus C, A, or B, we are doing church together and we are growing together. And you see, fellowship is so important. Because you cannot thrive as a Christian without fellowship. I would even venture to say that you cannot survive as a Christian without fellowship. And Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47 is, the, in a sense, the New Testament demonstration of the Old Testament declaration when God said, it is not good that man should be alone. The New Testament church is born on the day of Pentecost and is the demonstration of that truth. That God designed people to live their lives together. And what we discover as we go through the book of Acts is that the early church was a group of people who were passionately pursuing a God who is passionately pursuing a lost world. And we find out that they were doing it together. And what the Lord birthed in them at that early stage, church, and this is important, was a togetherness that would increase and enhance their witness. A togetherness that would enhance their witness. And so it is with us. Our ability to live lives together and to be together for Jesus will enhance our ability to reach the world. And that's really what I want to focus on today, but not just today, as a church going forward. A form of togetherness that will enhance our witness. So what I want to do today in looking at this passage of Scripture is ask a couple of questions and answer those questions and in doing so, get a description of what church life was like in the early church 
And I believe it will give us all some inspiration in understanding what it means to be a part and involved in this amazing entity called the church and the fellowship of the believers. Question number one, what does fellowship mean? Some of you know the word well by now. I preached on, on it a couple of months back. It's the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia is used over 25 times in the New Testament and is not only translated as the word fellowship, but is also translated as a willing contribution, as a partnership, as a sharing or communion. And what happens, church, if you put all of those meanings and those words together, is you discover that fellowship is sharing the life of Jesus Christ. It's not just a social gathering. It's a spiritual gathering. And we gather together for a purpose. Right? And what is our purpose? We gather firstly to worship God, then to stimulate each other to spiritual growth so that we can go out and manifest Christ in the world. That's our purpose. And we do it together. Now, that is never more clearly seen than in that little phrase that appears throughout the New Testament. About 60 times the phrase, one another, appears. One another. For instance, Romans chapter 13 says, love one another. Romans 14 says, edify one another, encourage one another. Romans chapter 15 says, admonish one another, correcting one another in love. Ephesians chapter 4 says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Sixty times that phrase occurs. And how much have we realized, church, that we cannot do a one another, one another experience just with a television or a computer? As much as we try to emulate that during lockdown, we realize that you have to have another human being to have a one another experience with. Is there a witness in the house this morning? That is part of fellowship. And look, be honest with me this morning. Who battles with this, this one another command? Who battles sometimes with this one another command? Who's a very private person and sometimes battles to grasp the, this one another that the Bible continually speaks about? Because look, I'll be honest with you. My first idea of one another in church was when I started dating Pastor Ronell. I wasn't a Christian back then. And the only one another that meant anything to me was the one another between myself and my, my future wife. To be honest with you, I didn't care about fellowship with you all back then. I was just worried about this beautiful lady right here. <laughs> By the grace of God, I've changed. I love you all. Just not in that way. Okay. <laughs> so, Scripture shows us that the New Testament church was intensely relational, strongly relational. They lived their lives together. So to answer the first question, what does fellowship mean? It means sharing the life of Jesus Christ with one another. That is so important. Second question, why is fellowship needed? Why do we need it? Now I want to answer that question by answering why it was needed 2,000 years ago by the early church and then why it is needed today. And you'll discover it's pretty much the same reason. 
Let me take you back to verse 12 of chapter 2. And you'll get a clue of a, a problem that is arising. Verse 12 says, So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Remember, the 120 had been filled with the Holy Spirit in the upper room, and they were out now speaking and declaring the wonderful works of God in other tongues. Some were saying they were amazed and perplexed, but in verse 13, others mockingly said, They are full of new wine. They just drunk. Now, right here at church, we get the seedling of something that's going to grow into a full-fledged problem. And that is persecution. This is the seedling of persecution right here. A group of people looking on don't understand what they see in this group of people who call themselves Jesus worshippers. They say that they're drunk. They start mocking them. But by chapter 4, the persecution becomes intense. By chapter 5, the Christians are being thrown into prison. By chapter 8, it is so intense that the church scatters to different parts of the country. So the refuge for the believers was the one another experience. The antidote to the pressure that the world was putting on them was to gather in this new family that God was creating, the church. They would come together and fellowship, break bread, hear the apostles' teaching, and pray for each other so that they could go out again with power. Now, I would say that nothing much has changed. Because I think we need each other more now than ever before because you and I live in a world and in a culture that is increasingly hostile toward believers and isolating of believers. And the Christian fellowship is our antidote. Because listen, everything in our culture today fights Christian fellowship. This world is becoming less and less friendly toward us. Our society is marginalizing us more and more, and some are even on the all-out verbal and legal attack. And what used to be the separation of church and state is now in their minds the separation of the church from the state altogether. We just don't want you involved in our processes any longer. So that pressure that was there in Jerusalem is also present in our, our own culture. And who knows how quickly that will escalate. Church, another reason I want to give you why we need fellowship is because of what mobile technology has done to us as a culture and as a Christian culture. I spoke about this in depth last year, so I'm not going to go into too much detail, but what I do want to say is that your little mobile device and mobile technology and social media has in effect turned us inward toward ourselves rather than outward toward one another. Because you can spend hours online socializing on Instagram, on Facebook or, or Twitter, but the one another experience is absent. And look, I'm not saying that we can get, we're going to get rid of it or you must throw your cell phones away. I still use mine, I always will. And, and technology has, has great benefits. But I, I realize its limitations. It is not what it is promising you that it is. This virtual world is not real fellowship. A well-known preacher once jokingly said that all you can really share with someone online or on social media, 
all you can really give them and share with them is a textually transmitted disease. And again, it's not all bad. But if we are using our mobile devices to escape the real world, real situations, real relationships, and we don't want to real, you know, deal with real life, or because it's keeping us from giving of ourselves, then we need to really look at who's in charge here. Are you in charge or, charge or is your, your cell phone in charge? And the reason I mention this church is because Christianity is not about that. Christianity is not a private, personal experience. And I'm going to make a bold statement this morning. But everything about church life fights privacy. Everything about the church and Christianity fights privacy and isolationism. Because it's our togetherness that will enhance our witness. And I know that's a bit of a hard pull to swallow for, for at least some of us. Because if I look at myself, I'm, I'm quite a private person. I don't naturally want to foster fellowship or, or arrange functions with friends or go to gatherings of large groups of people. I like my own space with my own family, right? Don't get me wrong, I enjoy being with people. I'm glad to be here this morning, but it's not naturally what I do. I don't know, maybe it's just the type of personality that I am, and maybe it's the way that I've, I've grown up. Pastor Ronell, on the other hand, grew up that way and was always used to having missionaries in their homes, staying in their homes, and, and always having to share their space, space with someone else. So you can just imagine, sometimes she's probably screaming on the inside, you know, just let me out, I want to be with people. But having said that, church, over time I've realized that I've had to get over my isolationism and wanted to only take care of me and mine because God hasn't called me to a, a private Christian experience. He's called me to sacrifice my life. He's called me to give of myself and to, to love others. And I can't do that by only being concerned about what suits me or, or where I feel comfortable. I can't do that by only wanting to take care of my own family. In fact, God knew how much I needed to change, and so what did He do? He called me into this position where I had no option but to become outward-focused. God works in mysterious ways, right? Yeah? All I can say is God uses the, the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. Church, you and I are called to something much greater than just me and mine. We are called to contribute and partake in this amazing fellowship where we share the life of Jesus Christ. And it's our togetherness that will enhance our witness. Amen? Question number three, and this is a personal question. Am I really a part of the fellowship of believers? Am I really a part of this fellowship? Or some of you may even be asking, am I worthy to be a part of the fellowship of believers? Now I want you to have a quick look with me at a passage of Scripture in 1 John chapter 1. This is what it says. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. 
He was with the Father and then He was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Church, very importantly this morning, the basis of fellowship is salvation. John says we proclaim the gospel of Christ so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So the proclamation of the gospel in itself is not an end in itself, shall I say. The proclamation of the gospel is not to produce individual isolated Christians. The preaching of the gospel is to produce a fellowship, a sharing in, in common life, in common purpose, ministry, and testimony. The goal of the gospel is not just individual salvation from hell. It's not just individual forgiveness. The goal of the gospel is a fellowship with other believers and get this, a fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the, the Holy Spirit. And I would at this point say to you, do we realize what we are a part of? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says, Whoever is joined to the Lord is one spirit. If we are joined to the Lord, you join to the Lord and me, we are one spirit. Remember, Jesus prayed for this in John chapter 17 when he said that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Why? That the world may believe that you sent me. Church, we are one in Christ. Tell someone next to you, we are one in Christ. We also hear in a number of ways through the New Testament that how you receive another believer, how I receive you and how you receive me, is how we receive Christ Jesus. Because Christ in us engages us all together. Because if we are in Christ, we are also in one another. So salvation then is the basis of fellowship. When you became a believer, you entered the fellowship. If you are in Christ, you are in the fellowship. And the purpose of the fellowship is to worship God, stimulate each other to spiritual growth, so that we can go out and manifest Christ in the world. Our togetherness enhances our witness. We are Christ in the world. And that means that every single saved person has the privilege of being involved and partaking in the fellowship. Whatever your background, whatever your condition of life, whatever your abilities, whatever your status, all of us who are in the fellowship are in His eyes equal because we are all in Christ. And church, with that reality and with that privilege comes some responsibility. John chapter 13 sums up our attitude when Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And again, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, 
if you love one another. They will know us by our what? By our love. And church, herein lies one of the, the greatest challenges for modern day Christians. Because how do you get a people who have been appealed to on a, a consistent self-indulgent basis to come to Jesus because they'll have all their needs met, all their desires fulfilled, and all the prosperity they want? How do you get those people to see Christianity as me giving up my life for someone else? How do you get them to become outward-focused in an inward-focused world and, and sometimes even in an inward-focused church? Because look, when I look at the Scripture, this is not something that Jesus said we could see how we feel about one another and then decide at some point that we should love each other. Jesus is saying to you and me today, I command you. I command you to love one another. Church, this is not me speaking. This is Jesus speaking. And some of us don't like this word command, do we? It's a bit of a hard word. But it's God's word. And again, this is where the, the challenge lies for modern-day Christianity. Because many have fallen into the thinking that Christianity is about what I can get out of it. Not so much about what I can give. And so to answer this question on whether or not you deserve to be a part of the fellowship or you're worthy enough to be a part of the fellowship, if you're a believer, the answer is a resounding yes. You have the privilege of being a part of the fellowship of Jesus Christ, the shared life of Jesus Christ. And you have a, a great, the great privilege of being a part of fellowship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, together with other believers. And your responsibility and my responsibility is to love one another. One another. And church, it is my prayer today that we would be a church that truly obeys this command of the Lord. Because herein lies our strength. Herein lies our power. Herein lies our togetherness, right? And our togetherness will enhance our witness. And you know, when I was thinking about this command of, of loving one another, I was thinking, why is it that when you become a Christian and you're being sanctified, the Lord is working in your life and, and you change and you're becoming more like Christ, you're okay when he, when he commands you to do things like not to steal or not to murder or to, to commit adultery or even to worship other gods. But when it comes to this command of loving one another like he loves us, that it proves to be so difficult. Why is that? And church, I think one of the reasons why this is so challenging is because the enemy knows that if he can affect the love that we have for one another, it will affect our witness. You see, he knows the power of love. The enemy knows the power of love. He knows that love covers a multitude of sin. He is aware of the fact that love casts out all fear. He hates the fact that, that love conquers all. Right? He hates love because, because God is love. It's the exact opposite representation of what the enemy stands for. And if he can defile our love, he can defile and affect our testimony. And church, our togetherness and our love for one another will enhance our witness. 
And I want to say to you this morning, we must fight to foster, to develop this, and then to preserve this, because there is no demonic offense that can combat love. We need to love one another. And you may be thinking, where do we start? Where do we start with this? How do we change our hearts? How do we change our thinking? And I would just say, the first step would be to ask the Lord to change us. And then we do it step by step. And I'm going to hand over to Pastor Renal because she's got something to add on to my message this morning. And then she's going to lead us in a time, in a time of? Communion. Communion, thank you. This week, as uh, Pastor Ryan was sharing with me what he wanted to minister on, I was reminded of a conversation that I had with Pastor Carl. Um, I recall him saying to us one day that he was in a career of law. Um, he, he had worked in, in law and it had taught him to be very hard, you know, no gray areas very hard almost intolerant to people's nonsense and the Lord called him into ministry and he said from that day he started to pray Lord would you give me a love for people God would you give me a heart to love and he said truly the Lord did it and from that conversation, I have started praying the same prayer. Lord, would you give me a love for people? Would you give me such a compassion for people that when I look at them, I see your handiwork. And when they look into my eyes, they see that reflection. They start to believe in who God called them to be. God, would you give me a compassion? Would you change my heart? Would you change my eyes that I would look through a lens of love? And the truth is, church, we can't do this on our own. That's why David says, God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit. Why? Because he couldn't do it for himself. But God is in the business of supernatural creation. He says, I'll give you a new heart. I'll give you the capacity to love sacrificially. I'll give you the ability to look through the lens of love. And church, this should be each one of our prayers from today on. From today on, it should be, Lord, how do I look at people and see your handiwork created in your image, the one you gave your life for? Would you create in me a clean heart, oh God? Would you give me a capacity and a grace to love sacrificially? We can't do that without him. He knew how difficult love would be. Isn't it? 
He knew how love, how difficult it would be, but he also knew how important because it empowers our witness. And so he made it a commandment. He didn't just say it's a suggestion. He said, I command you to love one another. 1 John 4 says that you have this commandment that if you love God, you would demonstrate love for one another. See, it's not just in word. It's in deed. It's a demonstration of love. And I wonder this morning, church, if there are some of us sitting here after listening to the word of this one another, of fellowship, of love, where you say, I've tried that. And I've been deeply hurt by the church and by Christians. And so what's happened is you've stood on the outskirts. You've stood isolated and separated, guarded, because it's a safer place to be than to make yourself vulnerable, right? I believe today God wants to restore your fellowship. God wants to bring healing so that we can walk in this unity and in this fellowship and in this one another so that our witness and our testimony may be empowered for his glory. Scripture says you can prophesy, you can have faith, you can do all these things, but without love, you're nothing. God, would you create in us a clean heart? Would you enlarge within us the capacity and the ability to love like Jesus? If that's you today saying, I've stood on the outskirts, I'm, I'm okay there. I'm okay there. It's a safer place to be. Today I pray that Holy Spirit would soften your heart and you would allow yourself to become vulnerable once again to be able to be in fellowship. Maybe each of us need to say, Lord, if I've been part of hurting someone in your body, forgive me. Lord, if I've messed up if I've been the cause of hurting someone, would you forgive me? God, would you, would you make me more aware of how I impact those around me? Because the truth is when we impact with love, it will bring transformation. God, I pray we have a revelation of your love. God is love. May we have a revelation of your love, Lord, I pray.